You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. No matter how bad things get, there's always hope for a better ending. Leading psychotherapist said after 25 years of speaking with his clients, he said easily the number one fear he was able to identify as he worked with people, it wasn't fear of dying, it wasn't public speaking. It wasn't terrorism. It wasn't, you know, financial collapse. He said the number one fear that he encountered with most people that he worked with was what he kind of called ultimate loneliness. Of all of the human emotions that we express, perhaps the most crippling is that one of loneliness. And that silence or that ultimate loneliness can really be deafening at times. You can maybe hear or feel that in an abandoned child, maybe a quiet home, an empty mailbox, maybe a telephone that never rings, a sleepless night, maybe a forgotten birthday. Prisons, I mean, they even under kind of stand this whole concept. They know one of the worst things that you can do to a prisoner if you want to punish them is to put them in solitary confinement. There are more than 80,000 United States prisoners that are housed this way more than in any other democratic nation. They're confined to a 12 by 6 cell, 23 hours a day, with nothing but a small sink and a toilet to look at. Interestingly, solitary confinement, it really is kind of an, an American concept. It was first used in the 19th century in the state penitentiary in Philadelphia. And prisoners were put in solitary confinement really for the purpose that they could kind of contemplate their crimes and maybe find their way to repentance. Imagine 23 hours a day, seven days a week, in a bathroom-sized cell under fluorescent lights that never go off, under 24-hour surveillance, not really speaking or hearing from anyone. Maybe it's why prisoners in isolation account for just 5% of the total prison population, but also account for half of the suicides. Interestingly, on the cross, Jesus took this whole concept of isolation and confinement to a whole nother level that no human being has ever or should ever experience. We're in a series we've kind of been calling The Bucket List. We've been kind of focusing on the last six hours of Jesus's life. And in those six hours, Jesus said and did seven things that we kind of talked about being on his bucket list. Now, he doesn't use that term, but again, we know the concept of a bucket list. It's, it's things that we have, whether they're kind of written or they're just kind of, you know, things that we think about, things that we want to say 
or do before we die. And, and Jesus had a bucket list. And there were some things that Jesus wanted to make sure that he said and did before he died. And we see a few of those items there in that last six hours of his life. Jesus again suffered upon the cross for about six hours before he finally died. You remember his hands were nailed, his feet were nailed to a wooden beam, probably around nine o'clock in the morning. And during the next three hours, he, he uttered the first three of seven statements he would ever make in his earthly life. You remember he asked God to forgive those that had done all that they had done to him leading up to the crucifixion, the crucifixion itself. He made sure that one of the criminals dying next to him was forgiven and assured that he would be in paradise with Jesus later that day. He also made sure that one of his disciples, John, would take care of his mother, Mary, after his death. And we talked about that last week. For probably a couple of those first three hours, Jesus had been deathly silent. And then Matthew 27, verse 45 says, Then it happened. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. Suddenly, without warning, at 12 noon, says the land went completely dark. Now, this was not an eclipse. This was not the sun going behind, you know, a black thunderstorm cloud. No, this was thick, deep, hard, penetrating darkness. And it lasted from 12 noon until 3 o'clock in the afternoon when the sun would normally be at its brightest and its highest. Now, I want you to understand when this happened, when this darkness fell, it was so pronounced. It was so stark. It, it was so unexpected that it sent shockwaves through the crowd. I'm sure at that moment, people went speechless. I'm sure there was confusion and chaos. There probably was even hysteria. Would have been a few of the emotions that that crowd would have experienced. I'm sure very few people even moved during this time. It would have felt like as if nature said, I can't look at any more of this, and the sun just kind of turned itself out. At some point, without warning, during that time of great darkness, the silence is broken by a scream that would chill the bone. Not just simply a calling out, a scream would have been heard. Only four words. A mix of Hebrew and Aramaic. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. 
The question echoed through all Jerusalem. Eli, Eli, Laba, Sapakari. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is the most unique, the most mysterious statement Jesus ever spoke. Not with the words. I mean, they're relatively easy to translate. But the question, what does it mean? It's the only statement Jesus made from the cross that is recorded by two different writers, Matthew and Mark. And again, this is not spoken to us, but it is spoken for us. Jesus speaks these four words to his heavenly father, and he speaks to the father in a way Jesus had never, ever spoken to him in eternity past, present, or eternity future. Jesus would never, ever speak these words to his father again. And of the seven things Jesus said, this is a central one. It was spoken exactly halfway through his time upon the cross. And it is central for a reason. Because with this statement, what we understand and know is that Jesus is at the climax of his suffering. He is at the apex of his agony. He has reached the peak of his punishment. Even this is more than Jesus can seem to take. You remember leading up to this, they beat him. He never said a word. They mocked him at his trial. They falsely accused him. He never uttered a word in his defense. He didn't retaliate when they spat on him. He didn't respond when they nailed his hands and his feet to the cross. However, the moment God would turn his back on him as he hung there on the cross, that was even too much for Jesus to handle. And he cries out to his heavenly father. Think about those words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, why? We've all asked that question a time or two in our lives. Maybe the mother who's lost a newborn child, my God, why? The father who maybe watches his 10-year-old son die to cancer, my God, why? The single mom who's trying to raise four kids on a single income because her husband's left her for a younger woman, my God, why? Maybe an employee who's worked for a company for 25 years suddenly gets a pink slip with no pension, no severance pay. My God, why? In that question, at that moment of his crucifixion, I believe there are two incredible truths we can take away from that that will kind of help us not only to live right, but to be able to die right when that time comes. And I think 
This was something that was on Jesus's bucket list. I think it needs to also be on our bucket list as well. Because of these words of Jesus, when you die, you should first be able to talk to the God who is always with you. Jesus cries out to his heavenly father there upon the cross. Again, listen to that verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. Again, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record the fact that it was pitch black. And what is about to happen happens in complete darkness. Now that is a clue to us that something terrible is happening. This is not just a physical event. This is not just a reaction in creation. This is a spiritual event. This is a spiritual reaction. Because John, 1 John 1.5 says, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. God is a God of light, not a God of darkness. When complete darkness covered that place, God was making a profound statement. Remember, 33 years earlier when Jesus was born, do you remember that? Luke described the radiance of God's glory. It's as if the heavens had opened up. The glory of God's radiance comes down and the shepherds see this blinding light. They hear the angels singing glory to God in the highest. As Jesus hung there in complete darkness, the angels are still and silent And the radiance of God's glory is nowhere to be seen. God was saying something. After three hours of being in the deepest, darkest place anyone had ever known, Jesus cries out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Laba, Sabatari. I want you to feel again the intensity of this. The word cried out, it is actually a combination of these two words. The first word meaning to shout with a loud voice. It is with the prefix of the word up. So it literally means to shout or to scream up. What Jesus uttered there, it kind of was more like the roar of a lion. And up until that point, Pretty much everything Jesus had said was a private conversation to his father, forgive them, to the criminal beside him, to the disciple before him and his mother. But now as Jesus shouts out, screams up, it's almost as if he wants everyone to hear these words. And the first words out of his mouth would have shocked every disciple that heard how Jesus spoke to his heavenly father prior to that because Jesus does something he had never done before. This is the only time Jesus ever addressed his father, his Abba, his daddy as my God. Every other time for the past three and a half years, Jesus called God by one name and one name only, Abba, Father, 
Here's why. Because Jesus is not talking to his father as a son now. As he hangs there upon the cross, Jesus is talking to him as a sinner and as the acceptable substitute for every sinner. Up until this point, Jesus was the perfect, sinless son of God. And there comes a point as Jesus is hanging there upon the cross that the sins of the whole world Your sin, my sin, every sin of the past, the present, every sin into the future was now being fully and completely, totally put upon Jesus. At that point, he is bearing the full, complete weight of sin, completely bearing the wrath of God against sin, And there comes a point where God just turns his back. He turns his face away from his son because of that sin that was upon him. And darkness is the evidence of what God has done. Now, believe it or not, this is good news for us even though it is the lowest point in life for Jesus, the one thing Jesus dreaded, the one thing he did not want to do, the one thing he asked his father and said, if there's any other way to do this, he did not want to drink the cup of God's wrath against sin. And as he hung there on the cross, he was now drinking that cup of God's wrath in full. This would mark the first time and only time in eternity, past, present, and future, that God the Son would be totally, completely separated from God the Father. And that's where that cry comes from. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me? Now, Jesus, again, he is, he's quoting a phrase from Psalm 22, verse one. And it is a phrase, it's a scripture he would have read many, many times growing up as a Jew, as, as being there in the synagogue, he would hear this being read. And now for Jesus, this phrase in Psalm 22, verse 1, it is now taking on a whole new meaning for Jesus. Prior to this moment, whenever Jesus would have read those words there in Psalm 22, verse 1, he would not know what it had felt like to be abandoned or forsaken by God. Wouldn't have known what that was just to read that. But as he hangs there upon the cross, he is now feeling, he is experiencing those words in complete reality. And he cries out. At that moment, Jesus became the only human being ever. Completely, totally forsaken and devoid of the presence of God in his life. His family had forsaken him. 
His only mother, she shows up at the cross not to know what to think. Imagine how helpless she felt as she stood there and watched everything that was happening. The nation of Israel that he had come to save, they had completely rejected him. His friends, the disciples, all of them except for John have pretty much forsaken him. Everybody has forsaken Jesus and now his own father, his heavenly father, the God who rejoiced at his birth, the God who declares his love and his pleasure over Jesus when he was baptized there in the river Jordan has now completely and totally forsaken and turned his back on his son. Jesus had never been forsaken before. Throughout eternity, the Father, the Son, they had been co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent. They were in complete, full, never-ending oneness on earth. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've heard me, you've heard the Father. He said in John 10, 30, he said, I and the Father, we're one and the same. So Jesus, he goes from one to none. Prior to this time upon the cross, nothing had ever come between them. Nothing. They never had a disagreement. They had seen everything eye to eye, heart to heart, spirit to spirit. But now the sin of the entire world and of every person who had ever lived, was living, or would live in the future was now totally between them. Now, You begin to understand why it was midnight at midday. Because our sins, the sins of humanity, had blotted out the radiant glory of the Father's face. When God looked down at his son in that moment, he did not see a perfect, sinless son. He saw every sinner who had ever lived was living or would live in the future. Every sin that had ever been committed, past, present, and future. Your sin, my sin. And God had to shut his eyes, to turn his back, to turn his face, to look away at the sight of sin. His nostrils to the stench of sin, his ears to the sound of sin. God completely, totally turns away. And at that moment, Jesus became the only person in all of history to be totally alone, forsaken and abandoned by God. It's one thing to be lonely, but no one is ever totally alone. But Jesus was in that moment. All Jesus had known up to this point is this enduring, this intimate, this intense, this dynamic, this passionate relationship that he had with his heavenly father. But now, all he experiences is complete, intense abandonment and separation. Jesus enters into what we maybe call a spiritual no man's land. 
He's like a man without a country. He's in eternal, solitary confinement. For the first and only time, God was totally against his own son because God is totally against all sin. Even though Jesus asked why, we know why. Jesus was fully, completely forsaken and abandoned. So you and I would never have to be abandoned or forsaken. God turned his back on Jesus so that God would never ever have to turn his back on you and me. Because of these words, we can talk to the God who is always with us, who right up until we take our last breath will never leave us, will never forsake us. I want you to understand Jesus didn't just feel forsaken. He was forsaken. You can feel like God has forsaken you, but the truth is God has never forsaken you. You can can feel alone at times. Certain situations, circumstances push us into that place where we feel it's me against the world, but it never is. No matter what you go through, because of what Jesus went through, you'll never have to go through what Jesus went through. You'll never be abandoned. You'll never be alone. No matter how bad it gets, no matter how bad you feel it gets, you will never be alone. You will never be abandoned because of what Jesus did upon the cross for you and me. Because of what he endured for us, we will never have to endure ourselves. I want to just, I, I had more, but, I've said enough. Callie had mentioned last week, you know, just again about um, just needing to experience. Um, you know, that, that maybe you've never really experienced God's presence. Uh, and, and maybe you're here this morning and you do kind of feel alone. You kind of feel abandoned. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel rejected by God. Maybe you're here this morning and, and, and you, you cannot feel, you cannot experience the love of God. Because of what Jesus did for you and I upon the cross, it opened the door for us to be able to experience God to experience him in ways that we never, ever could, in ways that maybe we never, ever imagined. And so I want to just close. And and I just want to read this prayer that Paul prayed for his disciples. It's also a prayer that I believe would be prayed for us, can be prayed for us today as well. And it comes from Ephesians chapter three. And I want you just to listen. And I just want you to let these words just kind of cascade across your heart this morning. 
especially if you're in a place where you're feeling alone or maybe you're feeling abandoned, you're feeling rejected, maybe you're feeling unloved this morning. Maybe you just feel God is distant this morning. And I just want to assure you, because of what Jesus did, he wants to come close. He wants to shed his love in your heart. He wants to shine his light. He wants to bring his forgiveness. He wants to bring his hope to those places of hopelessness for you. He wants to embrace you in those places where you're feeling rejection. So Paul says, so I kneel humbly in awe before the Father of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the perfect Father of every father and child in heaven and on earth. And I pray, here's his prayer for you and me. I pray that God would unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory and favor. I don't feel special, you are. And Paul is praying that the eyes of your heart would be open, that you would see the glory and favor, God's favor, that you not just see it, but you would feel it. The riches of his glory and favor until supernatural strength floods your innermost being with his divine might and explosive power. Then, by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside you. How many want that this morning? You just want the life of Christ to be released inside of you. And the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. Then you will be empowered to discover what every believer experiences, the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions. How many of you want to just experience the love of Christ, the richness, the fullness of Christ's love in all of its dimensions? That's what Paul's praying for you and me. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, and this is the kind of intercessing, this is the kind of praying Jesus is doing for you and me right now that we would know how deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love, how enduring and inclusive it is, endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. That's his prayer for you. That's God's heart for you and me this morning. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all of this. Don't doubt this. He is more than able. If he can raise Christ from the dead, he can do this. He will do this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all, for his miraculous power continually energizes you. Now, we offer up to God all the glorious praise that rises from every church in every generation throughout Jesus Christ, and all that will yet be manifest through time and eternity. And Paul says, Amen and amen, and that word means so be it, so be it. Let's stand. Father, we just thank you this morning.
We thank you for these words, this prayer the Apostle Paul wrote. It was his prayer for the church then. It is your prayer for the church now. And we thank you that your word says that Jesus, he is seated at the right hand of the, of the Father in power, in victory, in authority, and that he continues to intercede and to pray prayers like this for us, for our church. And Father, we say amen. So be it. Let this be done in us. Let this be done in our church. Let this be done in our city. Let this be done in our state and in our country. Let this be done in the world. Start with us. Start here, start now. And God, do such a work in us that God, we will go forth And we will be able to love with the love of God because we have been loved with the love of God. We'll be able to forgive with the forgiveness of God because we've experienced forgiveness. So God, come and start with us. Reignite. Rekindle. Bring forth this glorious work in us this morning. And we just praise you. We thank you for your endless glory, for your eternal goodness, for kindness that never ends, for love that we can never exhaust. And God, I pray, Lord, that we would be able to experience the riches of your grace in all of its fullness. We thank you for this, that we were made for this. We were created for this. That we would walk in this, that we would experience this in its fullness. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.